dear child. I see your eyes. You already know the truth. Whomever you're waiting for on Jakku, they're never coming back. But there's someone who still could. The belonging you seek is not behind you, it is ahead. I am no Jedi, but I know the Force. It moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. It's always been there. It will guide you. The saber. Take it. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 392, Nostalgia in Star Wars. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt. And with me, the Han Solo and Chewbacca to my Luke Skywalker, we've got Carl LeClaire and Greg Cass. (laughs) Oh, Greg actually just got replaced by Jonas. That sounded perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, although you might need some help with the height. Even though you're tall. Yeah. Getting closer. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, am, I am so thrilled to do this particular episode um, looking at nostalgia and how it plays into Star Wars, especially lately in Star Wars. Uh, and Greg, I can think of no one better to talk about this than you. I've been wanting to, to have you on to talk about this for a while because, Jeepers, this was probably what, a couple of years ago now um, for your own blog. You wrote a really um, incredible article about nostalgia and, and how nostalgia is working so much out, working itself out so much in pop culture right now, um, in the political world. Uh, and it was just such a brilliant piece. And ever since then, I was like, oh, my gosh, I would love to talk about nostalgia and Star Wars with you, Greg. And you've been so busy being on other podcasts um, <laughs> that we were finally able to get you back on this. Um, so I'm so excited for that. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes, hashtag my buddy ba- Greg. This is some actual my buddy Greg content. Um, I'm thrilled to be uh, back. It's been a really long time since we did our uh, what uh, top things Star Wars means to us episode, um, uh, and I'm I am thrilled. Um, I just want to say in my own defense, I have been on a couple other podcasts lately. I also have an infant, so that was the main thing. <laughs> you, you asked <laughs> yes. back in May, and I was like, uh, I'll I'll try to find a way, but it, it took some time to do it. So. Anyway, very glad to be here. Good to see both of you. You look fine, although a little sweaty. I think we're all in that August heat. I'm sure it's worse in Boston than Arizona, right, Jason? It's got to be cool there. Uh, 
No. Uh, although they have central air everywhere there, at least, which is nice. Yeah, well, we're, um, we're at a, supposed to be 108 today. Ooh, oh, that's not... Yes. That's not, that, that doesn't even come close to the 80 degrees today. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. <laughs> um, but before we get into this topic and, and, and uh, about nostalgia and all the ins and outs of what, what that word means uh, and, and how it applies to Star Wars, we did have a poll last week um, and a very excitingly fun episode last week. We got a lot of really great feedback, actually, from this one, which we don't get a ton of feedback anymore. So it's always great uh, to hear from, from all of you that you, in, that you particularly enjoy something that we did. Um, yeah. I know I had a lot of fun just thinking of old uh, legends stories and and talking about them with you last week, Jason. And uh, so we asked, obviously, all of you what your favorite um, old legends expanded universe stories were. And whenever we ask a big question like that, there is a plethora of responses. So, uh, Jason, go ahead and exhaust the mic with it. All right, I shall do that. What is your favorite legend story, ladies and gentlemen? All right, in fifth place with one vote each, uh, we've got the Knights of the Old Republic comic series. We've got the Revenge of the Sith novel, primarily things that, ref- that reference uh, the old Legends Clone Wars um, content. Uh, the Kenobi novel, Courtship of Princess Leia. Uh, Jedi Apprentice series. Star Wars Bounty Hunter video game. Shatterpoint novel, The Force Unleashed, the first arc from the Marvel Comics run. Um, we've got the Revan novel, Republic Commando, and Young Jedi Knights. In fourth place with two votes, we've got Knights of the Old Republic, the video game, uh, and the Tales of books. I kind of lumped all of those together, Tales of Cantina, Jabba's Palace, Bounty Hunters. Um, in third place, with three votes each, we've got uh, Shadows of the Empire, the Darth Bane trilogy. Uh, in second place, with four votes, we have the X-Wing series, which is not a surprise to me, since I love that series. Um, the Jedi Academy trilogy. And surprisingly, not in first place, the Thrawn trilogy. Uh, but what was in first place, solo by itself, with seven votes, we ha- have the new Jedi Order series, uh, which is arguably could be considered the most uh, influential series in the Star Wars Legends content uh, canon. But um, Thrawn trilogy or New Jedi Order trilogy could be the most influential, depending on what you describe as most influential. <laughs> <laughs> but... There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, everyone, so much for contributing to that. I had a blast going through all of it and putting it together. But uh, thoughts? Do you guys have a favorite? Greg Gears was in there with X-Wing, right? That's right. I, I, I thought you might ask me to vote again, and I was going to cheat and totally <laughs> spike the, the vote. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I voted for X-Wing, and I specifically said uh, the arc in that, I think it's between book three and four when they – um, take Coruscant. I just love that. You have the pilots kind of infiltrating and being spies on the planet itself. And a couple big surprises I won't spoil in case there's people who want to seek it out. But um, um, I could have voted for a lot of those things. The Larians have good taste and, and very broad taste. 
Um, the only one that surprised me personally, um, and no offense intended, is Darth Bane. For some reason, that trilogy never clicked with me. Um, I think I only read the first one and a half and then kind of quit. Um, but maybe I should retry it because people seem to love it. Yeah, it's pretty popular, especially with the, you know, that's the old Republic crowd. So mm, I've never read it, so I have no opinion. Um, I have not either. So yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least Greg has had experience with it. The rest of the panel does not. So. <laughs> well, there's a thing that comes up for me, and I, and I think a lot of people who had trouble with Alphabet Squadron in the new canon have this trouble, where if you don't have any kind of handhold of some character you know, I think it can be really hard to like wrap your head around it and picture the people and so on. So for whatever reason, again, probably no failure of the author. That one just, I could never picture kind of who Bane was and his world. Hmm. Maybe maybe now that we kind of have an idea of Bane from the Clone Wars series, hmm. it might be easier to go back and reread it then. Yeah. Anyway, just food for thought for anybody wanting to explore old Legends content, which still some really good stuff out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of it. Um, I mean, New Jedi Order is 19 books. <laughs> That'll keep you occupied. <laughs> yes. A friend yes. of Greg's and mine, Tyler, is currently reading through all of them. And I think he, he told me just the other day he's halfway through. So um, and then he's d- doing the whole nine book legacy of the Force series, too. And I was just like, wow. So <laughs> that's a lot of Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Um, but he's a, he's a big Jaina Solo fan. So he wanted to revisit her story. Um, which is just fascinating to me. Um, I, I was not surprised when Mark Herleman's vote went for the new Jedi Order series. Though. Yeah, yeah, he obviously loves that particular series. And I just finished Darth Plagueis um, for the for the first time. Actually, um, I'm oh, nice. I'm in a Star Wars book club with some friends, and that was our our month of August read was Darth Plagueis, and uh, it was really good. I mean, it's a 380 page book. I would say easily 80 pages could have been cut out. There's a lot of honestly kind of useless stuff, but I just skimmed that. <laughs> um, but the like whole, like the way they play with the force and the way they manipulate the midi chlorians, I mean, that's the type of star Wars stories. I love like anything around the force is, is right up my alley. Um, and I just found so many strong connections to rise of Skywalker through it. I don't think it was intentional at all, but it was just a, and obviously it's a legend story now, but, um, it was just a lot of fun, a lot, a lot of fun. So that was, that was written by James Lucino, right? Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, you have experienced the Lucinopedia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, we have uh, at the at the end of the episode, Greg has come up with a fantastic new idea for doing matchups on the show, which I'm so thrilled to introduce at the end of the show. Uh, this is why like it's so great to get a fresh voice in here because sometimes we get a little stale, Jason. So <laughs> I, I appreciate the the shot of ingenuity here that Greg's going to introduce at the end. Um, but uh, also at the end of the episode, as as we've been doing the last few weeks, uh, we're going to continue the A New Hope radio drama with episode three tonight, uh, uh, Black Knight, White Princess and Pawns, uh, which also is all pre-movie content. Episode four is finally where the movie starts. So in episode three is actually where we get them stealing the Death Star plans and all of that. A very different story from Rogue One, um, obviously. Uh, but yeah, so stay tuned at the end of the episode if you are so inclined for some radio drama fun. Um, but Greg, I want to ask you first and foremost, just to set up the conversation. Um, where did the whole, and you know, go in depth as you want to, but 
where did the whole idea even a couple of years ago come to, you know, sit down and even write that, that post that you wrote um, about nostalgia? And I know you, you kind of centered a lot of it around the, the show Mad Men. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I'm so excited to talk about this. It was funny because I, I knew when I wrote it, I liked the blog post and I knew you had really liked it. And a couple other friends had said they liked this one. Um, and then I hadn't thought about it for a long time. And then returning to it, I, I really liked some of the arguments I made within it. And um, I'll make sure I give it to the link to you guys so you could tweet it so so listeners can go catch up with it. Um, so it was two summers ago. It was actually roughly two years ago, like this week or, or maybe two weeks or so ago. It was the end of July, beginning of August. Um, and really, uh, to put us in Star Wars timeline, that was um, Last Jedi had come out and totally torn apart fandom in a way I think very few of us had ever experienced before. Um, you know, I'm an old fan, so I saw the split around Fandom Menace, but it didn't feel the same. It, feel, it felt much more kind of violent this time in a lot of ways. Um, and then Solo had come out and it kind of... Um, you know, gotten a different segment of Star Wars fandom excited for the most part, um, and yet had this kind of mixed presence at the box office. Now, reading the old blog post now, you kind of say like, well, like Solo's great and it's recovered a lot in its reputation. I think the more people see it on Disney Plus, it, it goes up and up and up and up. Um, so I was in that, that space and I was thinking to myself a lot about what's working in Star Wars and what's not. Um, and I returned to, to Mad Men, which is a show I had watched along the way um, when it was originally on the air. Um, and I thought a lot about um, how Mad Men is a show, for people who don't know, about 60s ad agency, uh, Sterling Cooper, um, and the greatest ad pitchman of all time, Don Draper. And it's a lot about his personal life and his struggles. Um, but then there's this incredible scene probably the best in the whole series that happens towards the end of the the first uh season and don draper is selling a bunch of kodak executives on a new ad campaign for their slide projector so it's it's the early 60s and the slide projector has a wheel on the top and you know you have to be a certain age student at this point to remember <laughs> that wheel on top of the slide projector as you know yeah, I, I had an art history professor who I loved who had all her, her pictures of cathedrals lined up and clicked and clicked and clicked, right? Can you guys hear the whir in your head and the <laughs> click? Um, <laughs> so, um, so he's selling them on this idea, and he hits upon this absolutely uh, brilliant idea to sell the projector on the idea of nostalgia. And it's, uh, it's again, the, probably the best scene in the series, and it just kind of sums up in a lot of ways the way – nostalgia works on us right not not the way that we necessarily receive it but like the way that people deploy nostalgia to a, affect us so i think you queued up the clip so if yep. you want to play a little of that that'd be great yeah my first job i was in-house at a fur company with this old pro copywriter greek named teddy and teddy told me the most important idea in advertising is new creates an itch. You simply put your product in there as a kind of calamine lotion. But he also talked about a deeper bond with the product. Nostalgia. It's delicate, but potent. Sweetheart.
Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. It goes backwards and forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. It lets us travel the way a child travels. Around and around, and back home again. place where we know we are loved. So welcome back to Mad Men cast episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I want to turn it over to you guys and and hear your thoughts on that scene. But let me just kind of put a couple of themes on the table for that. Um, Part of why I love that moment is I do think that there's this real genuine sense that that's how we feel nostalgia, right? That we want to travel like a child and go home again. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, And and then he expresses, or I think just before that, he says it's an ache. And I think... When I look to Star Wars, this is a Star Wars podcast, I believe, right? Um, Mm, Part of what uh, draws me back there is that kind of ache to try to go back to um, that place, but also who I was when I first experienced that world. And I think that's really powerful in in fandom and perhaps something that we haven't thought enough about. So um, I'll give you that or, or whatever other reactions you had. I, 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 go ahead. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, when you have a co-host on who also hosts, it's great. Um, so I I actually had not watched the clip. Um, I don't even know if I watched it when you actually first posted your, your blog, actually, Greg. Um, I don't remember if you put actually put a, a link to it or not. I feel like you described the screen well enough that I at least felt like I could skimp out on that part of the assignment. Um, so... I really, but yeah, I, I that strong identification with returning home to a place where you're loved. I think that kind of encapsulates this feeling of nostalgia. Um, and uh, a particular like fan documentary that I've always enjoyed is called "The Force Within Us," which was done by a guy named Chris Mott, who I had on the show a few months ago. Um, and, and and Chris's take on Star Wars in that documentary is to me pure nostalgia. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot of wonderful things about it. I think there are a lot of shortcomings because of that as well. Um, but overall, he's ultimately talking about how Star Wars brings him back to a safe place as a kid. Because um, a lot of the story is about how his father uh, died and Star Wars was this safe place that held him in that really painful time. Um, and I think that that sense of nostalgia is it's rooted in this desire to be back in a place where... 
uh, specifically with Star Wars, where you kind of first experienced that that story. And um, I think for a lot of us, I don't want to say all of us, but I know for at least the three of us here right now, we all experienced Star Wars as kids, first and foremost. And I think Mm -hmm. there was right. There's there's an innocence and purity to being a child for most people. Obviously, some people don't have it as good as we did. Um, But for most of us, you know, there is a there is just this this hopeful optimism, this, this pure bliss, if you will, of, of childhood that we were kind of living within when we first experienced Star Wars. Um, and I think the way that Star Wars stayed with us in some ways becomes this vehicle through which we can return to that really safe space. Um, whereas if you didn't have something like Star Wars to grow up with, it's a little bit harder Right, Star Wars kind of does become this vehicle through which you can kind of return to that really comfortable space of of I love the way he puts it, of being loved. Um, so, oh, that was that was kind of my initial thoughts just from the clip. Yeah, I'm I'm right along there with you because it does it does take me back. Star Wars in general takes me back. You know, um, back to a time when uh, you know things were much simpler. Uh, you know, all I had to worry about was, you know, getting up and, you know, maybe grabbing my homework and going to school or whatever. Um, you know, what deciding what kind of sandwich I wanted at lunch, peanut butter and jelly or, or whatever. Um, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, it, it also for me is the moment my imagination exploded. And I've talked about that on this podcast a lot. And that that wonder at the the amazing world that just opened up in front of me when I watched Star Wars um, is that feeling that I, I I try and get every time I watch Star Wars. Every time I go back and I see something, um, even new things, there's little bits and pieces that I'll try and find and go, ah, yes, there's that there's that feeling, there's that wonder, there's that imagination exploding moment that I. I want every time I watch this um, and and whether that's fair to the new stuff or not, I'm still not sure, but it's what I look for. Uh, and I, you know, I try to be aware of that, but you know, it is, it is definitely something that drives my enjoyment of this. And one of the reasons why, of course I have a pot, you know, I'm part of a podcast about it because I get to talk about that moment all the time, you know, in various different ways. So it, that really is the, the uh, that's the moment, the nugget, the 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 impetus that that sparked everything, and everything since then is trying to recapture that spark, um, and that is the nostalgia factor in Star Wars, um, and something I feel like as fans we're eternally chasing to some extent. Uh, I think those are both really good reactions. I would I would pull from Carl's the word childhood right and you both are talking about this simpler time for us right a time when the world hadn't challenged us in the same way that's not to say that that time was actually simple right but we didn't have to engage world in that way right and there's something about what you're both saying that really uh pulls 
to the 2020 of it all that now that we're trapped inside in this terrible present we're drawn more i think into that escapism and to pull from jason's the word the word wonder right that if we could feel that wonder that the the universe is that big the stories are that big i think it's something we we get you uh very nicely said we're trying to to recapture that spark my metaphor was a little darker i was thinking it's the high we chase right Mm. we got really high on star wars when we were kids and we're we're still tra- chasing that uh, high to try to feel that um, again in in some way. Um, yeah. So I want to just connect one other kind of pop culture thing to that. Um, just again, you don't have to be connected to Mad Men to, to necessarily understand this, but the similar thing I would point out to is is oftentimes um, Lorne Michaels, who's been the head of SNL forever, whenever he's asked um, like who the best cast is. It's always whoever the Saturday Night Live cast was when you were in early high school. That's your favorite cast. And it's not that that cast was so much better. It's just that you were staying up late to watch Saturday Night Live and it was this (laughs) special thing, right? You were at a sleepover where the other kids got you to watch Saturday Night Live. And so you say forever, like, oh, it's never been as good as X. And um, Lauren always says, you know, basically from that first season on, everybody just compares it to an earlier cast. But that always changes. Um, so I think it's that same feeling, right? That like we were somebody different, and so that is is what we uh, stick to. Um, and and in in regards to both uh, your comments, what I would just say is they both brought to mind the greatest nostalgia moment of modern fandom. I think for people our age, anyway, which is Chewy, we're home. Right. Because when that hit, we suddenly felt like, oh, my God, we're going home. And it didn't matter if you saw the movie at all. Like, <laughs> we're going home. Like, yeah. we, we got there. So um, I think that. And so I bring up that point just to note that there's a kind of sinister side of this. And, and I, I'll let people read the blog post on their own. But it begins there with a debate in my mind, because Don Draper isn't just any dude. He's a guy trying to sell stuff to us and that's where the kind of sinister side of nostalgia creeps into this picture which is i think it's without a doubt that all of the companies that work with star wars are trying to get our money and trying to keep us invested and so for me i was then debating a lot for myself how much of this is me feeling genuine love and how much is this me being manipulated into feeling love as a part of that and while we will obviously talk a lot about Star Wars in that regard, um, I think it's prevalent across everything, right? I mean, every reboot, every recast, every you know um, show that gets launched that that just brings us back. Every, I mean. Uh, I'm going to pick on Carl by saying the vinyl collection downstairs, right? Like <laughs> you're, you're like, we are taught, like you got to connect with back to who you were back to who you might've been at those time periods. And I think we all get uh, pulled in that way. So um, I think I'll just, I'll just close these thoughts with that and say like, I want to ask the question and this is what I've been pursuing. Is nostalgia good for star Wars? Is this a way to say fan to fuel our fandom or is it something we are being kind of manipulated by and having a larger effect on us? Um, so before I, I drop that question, I'm sure we all want to give the just general disclaimer. Um, Carl, you've done so well lately kind of shifting discourse away from best Star Wars to favorite Star Wars. Absolutely. And I think we should kind of acknowledge that 
probably as a part of debating this, we're going to necessarily express opinions. I think it's obvious to your listeners that the two of you love Star Wars deeply from Attack of the Clones to uh, Rise of Skywalker. Why I left out Phantom Menace, I don't know. Uh, But... I think if you don't know me, I love all Star Wars, too, right? I don't talk about Star Wars in terms of my favorite. I talk about it, or my least favorite, it's like my 11th favorite Star Wars movie, right? So I think we should just acknowledge that what we are going to debate is going to necessarily bring up some of those views, but we don't want to discount anybody. So maybe I'll, I'll turn the question over to you all really broadly, is do you think Star Wars and nostalgia is a healthy relationship, or is it something that is more of that kind of manipulation side of things? Uh, Let's go to Jason first this time. Look at me taking over hosting duties. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) calling on people in my class. Go ahead, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Oh, I mean, I'd say it's both. It goes hand in hand. It really does. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I do think there is a, a, a definite benefit to nostalgia, especially when it comes to Star Wars, and it's and it's part of what keeps it timeless uh, for so many people. Um, however, there is the other side where you know sometimes we can get either too attached to our nostalgia, or it it's just empties our wallets, um, which you know we've all experienced those moments where we're like, I guess we're eating ramen for the next three weeks, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because I need to have X. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I do think in just general terms, and I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of this as we go. Um, yes, I, I, it's both. It is both, and you can't really be have one without the other, unfortunately, because it's all one sort of jumbled mess. Uh, there's a definite positive note of nostalgia and that with Star Wars that I think is healthy and uh, important to just the story of it all. Because not only are we hearkening back to moments in Star Wars, but Star Wars is hearkening back to classic stories from before. It's it's selling us nostalgia for tropes and characters and situations and things like that um, that just in a new package. Uh, as a movie, which is fantastic and amazing, and it makes us who dig into it want to go back and see those earlier works and find those earlier stories. Um, but on the other side, it, it is also you know a, a pure marketing ploy um, and something that in you know fandom can be wielded like a weapon if you're not you know careful with it. So um, yeah, it, it's. It, it it's both and you can't have one without the other in my opinion unfortunately so I think that was a great response, and and what I would pick up on in that, too, is when you talk about these kind of connections to classic mythology or tropes and all these these figures, that, I think, is a way that could be towards self-growth, right? I'm a kid. I haven't studied these things. I'm going to go learn about them. But it also becomes a way that, like, modern stories are too complex. Let me go to the simple version, right? Um, The world of Star Wars, which I love very much, is all about light and dark. And there's a way in which that's very misleading. That is a myth. That is a fantasy. Your real life isn't going to be that clear, right, with heroes and villains necessarily. So I think there is a a double-edged sword there that it's like, yeah, it could be the chance to grow more or it could be the chance to shut yourself off and not appreciate uh, the modern world. Carl, how are you feeling? I feel good, Greg. How do you feel? <laughs> 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 um, 
you know, I the the kind of the way you posited the question actually has me thinking about it in a different way now. Uh, where I almost want to separate Star Wars the story from Star Wars the product, because um, mm. I think that they're they're kind of two different animals in a lot of ways, right? Uh, so when I think of the toy shelf, you know, at your local Target or Walmart. Um, I feel like their nostalgia means something different um, than what we see on the big screen. Um, yeah. and, and in a weird way, um, I'm going to divide myself a bit here. Uh, I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, but I'll do a both and, um, and, and I can only speak from my own experience. So when it comes – I've become more of a collector in the last year than ever before um, just because I, I have the luxury of having a, a Star Wars room space in my apartment and, and just having the fun of – you know, changing that space, recreating that space somewhat regularly. Um, I've noticed that the, the, the products that I choose to fill that space tend to have a nostalgic bent to them. Um, I've uh, I, I really have enjoyed like kind of recollecting the Power of the Force two line because that was the line that I grew up with. Um, that was the line that that fueled my imagination as I fell in love with Star Wars. Um, so in that way. Uh, I am almost after that nostalgic feeling of, oh, I remember having this, um, and and that and it's so good. Um, and then with the movies, um, I think that too much nostalgia uh, burns it out, um, and that's something I've had to learn over time. Um, and a lot of that comes from discourses that you and I have had, Greg. Um, and uh, so I would say, um, on the big screen, uh, I would say. Nostalgia isn't so great for Star Wars um, because if uh, and I know like this is something we're going to get into kind of the nuance of that conversation by looking at most specifically like two of the newer movies, which is Force Awakens and Last Jedi um, and 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 looking at what that looks like for the movies. So I would say too much nostalgia on the big screen isn't so great for Star Wars. Um, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to step aside for a second to, to just kind of point a finger at another franchise that I don't have nearly any loyalty to, but I do enjoy, which is Jurassic Park. Um, I would say that Jurassic Park is trying to, like Jurassic World tried so hard to just recapture the original magic of that 1993 movie. And it kind of did, but I don't ever really feel the need to watch it again. Like I would with the original. Um, because it's like, oh, remember that feeling you had? Here it is again. But it's like, I, if I, you're just going to give me the same feeling. I'll just watch the one that gives it to me better. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a more original take. Um, so, you know, I think that, that uh, so it's safe to play around with Jurassic Park because we can all enjoy it. But it's OK to like say it, it failed in that regard. Um, and like Fallen Kingdom was one of the worst movies I've watched in a long time. Um, so I'm dreading the third one. And. You know, they're bringing back the original three cast, which, again, yeah. so they're, again, just hitting you over the head with the nostalgia of that movement rather than telling us a new story. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they will. But it sounds like they knew Fallen Kingdom sucked. So, oh, well, we'll give you back that feeling you had from 1993. Um, mm. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what Force Awakens did. It, it, and, and I think that there are good things about the reason it did that. And I think it makes a lot of sense why it did. But... Um, I think that also leads to some of the pitfalls of that movie for me personally. I know for some folks it's a flawless movie and that's totally valid. Um, but I don't know. What do you think, Greg, though? What do you, where do you feel like nostalgia plays out for star Wars being good or bad or, or somewhere in the middle? Yeah. I, I really like your corollary there to separate kind of the merchandising machine and the, the actual 
film, the art, if you will, as a part of that. Um, I, I think where I land on this kind of larger question, and then I think you're right, we should talk specifics. I think that nostalgia is a good old fashioned junk food dinner, right? Mm. Um, I'm a, I'm a good healthy man a lot of the times, but I have a soft spot for Velveeta. My wife (laughs) thinks it's the most disgusting thing in the world, but I will heat my noodles and squeeze out my golden cheese packet all over that um, and watch her like groan. And then I'll just happily eat it. Um, But I know that I should not have my Velveeta dinner seven nights a week, right? That's a once every couple weeks, indulge. You've had a crappy day, indulge. And so I feel that way about nostalgia. And I think this actually fits very much with what both of you said, which is that sometimes you do need just that comfort. You need that kind of, let me go back, let me feel those things, let me be safe in that. But the real danger comes by living there. And I think we all know there are a lot of toxic parts of fandom. And I can't in one gesture kind of identify all of them and all their motivations. But I would say one thing that comes up frequently in online discourse is a sense that the nostalgia has to rule. And if Star Wars isn't what I thought it was in 1978, then it's not good and it's not for me, and it's not for you, and it's crap, and you should quit, right? Um, I I mean, I, we had a fantastic time in Chicago. It was like the greatest celebration experience of my life, hanging out with you guys, with our friend Ben, and we just had a great time meeting people. But my worst memory from Chicago is I was on the floor standing next to you, Carl. I think, mm-hmm. Jason, were you with us to watch the Tross? Uh, oh, I, I hate Tross, and I said it. The Rise of Skywalker uh, trailer. I don't think you were, or were you? Uh, yeah, you were. Yeah, you, I were. Was, you, you were. You were there. I you were on the other side of Carl. I couldn't see. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we all finished that, and I walked away immediately. And I just happened, by the luck of the draw, to bump into some guy who's like, "Well, I guess since all of Star Wars sucks now, they just had to go bring Palpatine back." And I was so like destroyed in that moment because i was on a high we had screamed we had cheered that was an infectious moment roll it again right we were all there (laughs) and then i was like why did i run into this this guy i'm trying to censor my language because you're a family (laughs) shell Uh, i was like why did i have to run into this guy also why are you here at star wars celebration if you're going to be negative in this moment i don't know um so to me that's that's the the kind of bad side of this nostalgia is it empowers a type of fan who might just kind of at first say, I prefer the OT, but then that turns into you're not a real fan if you don't love the OT most, and then turns into if you like anything else, you suck, right? Mm. And I think that is such a slippery slope. Um, in the blog post, I, I look at memes that kind of do that, and there's a Star Wars version of that, right? You get a. Do you guys know the meme that's a picture of a purse and it looks kind of like Jabba, and it's like mm. only real Star Wars fans will see it. Um, and so that's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of fun and silly. Or there's one that's like clouds, and you'll identify whatever creature it looks like. Um, but then that can so easily turn into instead of, hey, isn't this a fun inside joke? It turns into. Well, if you're different than me, then you should get out of here. And I think that's that's where nostalgia becomes really problematic. Um, just to pass through the the merchandise point because it's visible behind me, <laughs> um, I do have the retro collection 
prominently on my wall, which is the nostalgiaist of Star Wars products right now, right? And there's this funny thing going on in collecting, Carl, to your point, where you have the retro collection, which is let me recreate for you what you bought in 1978. Then you have the vintage collection, which is let me recreate that experience, but make it new. And then you have like Black Series, which is, you know, uh, totally new in a lot of ways. And it's obviously the same characters, but it's a part of that. Um, and, and I love in the retro collection, they created Grand Moff Tarkin because that becomes like you never got this figure in 1978 and you should have. Right. <laughs> we didn't do this in the original line. And to me, that's that reads this kind of entitlement among some Star Wars fans um, that then says, see, Hasbro knows I'm the best fan. They know I need what I was supposed to get in 1978. And so all of you who don't like retro collections shouldn't be a part of this. And I think that's where it gets a little toxic. Mm. Um, oh, well, I wouldn't fit in. Um, my <laughs> Everything in my collection gets opened. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I... Oh. All of my Black Series figures are in a box right now because I don't have the shelving space to display them all. Um, and that is probably just abhorrent to so many Black Series collectors out there. Um, but I don't care. I open them and I display them and I put them in awesome poses. But yes, I don't. I don't. Since I'm going to open them, I don't care about the vintage collection. Mm. I'm like, no, or not the vintage, the uh, the, the retro collection. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's fun stuff out there. And I, um, if it's gonna, if it's gonna, if there's a, the same figure in two different packaging, I'll take the one that's the, the basic packaging. So I'll leave the, the other stuff for people who really want that because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not keeping it. So. <laughs> you know, um, uh, just to kind of continue on, on the points you were, you were just making Greg, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I, well, I kind of rewind. I'm going to rewind a big chunk here for a second, but I really liked, uh, you know, the way you put it, you know, we're all kind of chasing that high again. That's kind of where the nostalgia hits us with star Wars. Um, and, uh, so as I was like kind of preparing today, I actually just randomly stumbled across this New York times article back from 2013 talking about, um, is nostalgia good for you? And the, the article posits why it is good for you or like where, in what circumstances it can be good for you. And what I found really enlightening about it is it said that ultimately nostalgia is really um, it's usually really big for people going through transitional stages. So it talked about like someone going off to college for the first time, you know, your freshman year, you bond with other friends about like, oh, I remember back in like high school or middle school when we used to do this or, you know, moving into your first home or like your first you know, your first Christmas together with like a new partner or spouse. And you think like, oh, well, my family used to do it like this, right? It's, it's kind of those key transitional moments. And, and that really struck a chord for me. Cause I was like, oh yeah. Like, um, I remember in college specifically really getting into star Wars in a whole new way. Um, and, and really being driven by that, that sense of nostalgia, because I felt a little unrooted there, but this was something that made me feel rooted. Right. So I think that there's a real, um, uh, uh, goodness to it. Um, and, uh, there's actually one of my favorite quotes, um, from, from the book of Psalms in Psalm 137, it opens by saying, um, by the rivers, by the streams of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And it's this simple phrase where it talks about the people of Israel in exile and this longing to return home, this longing to return to that sacred space where they dwelled with God. Um, and I remember when I first 
uh, her, I, I never really read the book of Psalms until I studied them in grad school. And when, when the professor talked about it, he said, this is ultimately a Psalm of longing, a, a Psalm of longing to return. And what's so beautiful in the language of scripture is they long to return to the good old days, which is a lot of nostalgia language. They, they long to return to the good old days. However, when they finally do return, the good old days are gone. So they have to create new good days. Right. And I think to your point, Greg, like that's the danger of nostalgia is when it has to be. Well, no, no, no. It has to be like this. It has to be like how I felt it then, which Mm -hmm. is somewhat odd because you felt that when you were probably eight years old, 10 years old, 13 years old. Right. Like you're not 12 or below anymore. Right. You're an adult now. So, um, you know, the nostalgia is so uh, the article ended and interesting enough, you brought up the point, Greg, that I've been trying to make a little bit on the Twitter discourse, which is I really wish we would distance ourselves from best and re- restructure to favorite. Um, maybe partly is because I just I don't I'm not a film critic, so I can't really objectively think of those things. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it is art. So it is subjective all the same. Um, right. But. Uh, What this article ended by saying was, is we do ourselves a huge disservice when we use nostalgia to say, well, it was different when, um, and it basically says that when we differentiate experiences, that's when nostalgia becomes uh, bad, toxic, Mm. unhelpful. But rather, it talked about how, you know, imagine an old person in a nursing home getting nostalgic. If it's just looking back um, and saying, oh, those were the good old days, it wipes out any hope for a future. But rather, if it becomes this existential question of, oh, remember those days, what did they mean to me, right? It becomes kind of this question of what did it mean to you then? And I, I love, as I, as I read that, I thought about, yeah, like when I think of what Star Wars made me feel, that's where I kind of, I guess where nostalgia would play in for me is, all right, I remember how it made me feel. Do I get that feeling again, which is kind of to use your language, Jason, am I filled with wonder again right now? Uh, do, do I feel my imagination peaking? Do I feel this sense of hope for uh, a, a grander future? I think, you know, in a very simplistic way, that's what Star Wars did for me. And I think it can still do that. Right. So that nostalgic feeling um, can be really beneficial. But the problem is, is when it can when you like you were saying, Greg, when it becomes kind of cemented in, um, well, no, it was only like that. Uh, Return of the Jedi made me feel that way. Uh, Rogue One didn't make me feel that way. It's crap. It's not a good Star Wars movie, right? Like something like that. Um, so I don't know. I just rambled a bit. I apologize. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to pick up off that because uh, it, nostalgia becomes a problem when it stagnates, when it stays put when it doesn't offer any kind of and i'm 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 speaking more in the appreciation for the the films not necessarily the 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 marketing side because if you're if you're that you don't want that to move so much because that means you're just spending more money uh marketing (laughs) um but uh in terms of appreciation as a star wars fan of the the stories and the films and the characters and and things like that you, you want it to be a motivating thing, but that's harder to do than just going back. Ah, oh, that was amazing. That was so nice. Wasn't it so good back then? Yeah, that was amazing. Um, but nostalgia is a looking back with a purpose. If you want to really make it helpful, if you want to really have it be something that is 
more than a good feeling, more than just a, oh, that was nice um, mm. moment. Uh, it, it needs to have, uh, a, I think, a purpose to it, if, you know, to, to build off of the discussion that we're having. And this is, I guess this is something I've, I've done without really thinking through how much I'm doing it because it's just how, how I operate. Um, and it's part of why I find ways to enjoy so much of the new content that's come out ever since I started enjoying star Wars. You know, the, the OT kind of sparked my interest. I am super nostalgic for the prequel trilogy because that is what really solidified my enjoyment of the franchise as my favorite franchise of all time. Um, but that being said, I still find things to enjoy in all the, the sequel trilogy, all the, uh, the other uh, standalone movies, the TV shows, things like that. And, and moving on into to new storytelling and new characters and, and new ways to do things. I don't need a ton of, aha, that's Star Wars moments in them to really get me to feel nostalgic because um, – what I'm after in nostalgia is the wonder, and I'm I'm hunting for that. I'm looking for that. I want something that gives me that that excitement, that spark of inspiration, that for imagination and wonder and things like that. And that's the feeling that I'm looking for. And and I'm I find myself actively looking for that every time I go see a new Star Wars movie. I'm like, okay, where is that? Where is what is this movie going to give me that sparks that? Um, and and that's harder to implement than just looking back and saying oh i remember that you know because it's active it's active participation and not just uh reflecting i like so much of what you just said jason and um the blog post talks a lot about the opening books of the odyssey carl goes biblical and i'll go classical to speak jason language um so the opening books of the odyssey um, are all about Telemachus, uh, Telemachus, I added a syllable there, Telemachus, Odysseus's son, travels around hearing all the stories of the other heroes of the Trojan War who came home. And that is Homer reproducing other stories that had circulated prior to the Odyssey. And so there's a nostalgia to that in the way he engages his audience. But what you just said is right, which is, I think, healthy nostalgia is in that sense, it's teaching Telemachus how to be a king by hearing these other stories, how to receive his father when that final part of the the epic will come to place. Um, And because there's a purpose to that nostalgia, it gives it more. For Don Draper, the purpose is to sell you stuff, sell you a new slide carousel. But I think if we can use nostalgia to do something, um, then that's a healthy kind of nostalgia. I would just focus, um, one of the things I love, and I think a lot of your listeners love about watching your friendship, the two of you, uh, is that you do use Star Wars, uh, another one of your big words, you use it to play. You escape into playing Star Wars. Um, one of, That was a tale from the Larian question, mm-hmm. yeah, I believe, yeah, yeah. right? Was yeah. how do you play Star Wars still? Um, yeah. And so I'm thinking when you were talking just now, Jason, I was thinking about when you guys did your awesome little faux documentary in the Endor Forest. Yes. You were playing. You were escaping. You were doing something fun. But in escaping back into that nostalgia and that play, 
you were using that to fuel your creativity and to do something neither of you had ever done and to create something for the podcast that, of course, was on brand with who you are, but was totally different than anything you'd done before as a part of that. So I would personally brand that as a really healthy nostalgia because you said, let me go back and revel in that. Let me feel that old wound. But then let me use that feeling to do something totally new and different. So I, I think that is right on par. That's the Wampa's Lair brand, if there is one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh, I, I had two examples here. So I think we already touched on the first one, but I, I want to open it up to hear other thoughts on it. Um, I'm going to, again, deal in broad strokes. I think for me personally in the sequel trilogy – the Rise of Skywalker, there are some moments in it I love. It doesn't fully work for me. Now, I went and saw it three times in the theater with my five-year-old. That's his favorite Star Wars. Henry will never love anything as much as he loved Rise of Skywalker, I think. And he talks about it all the time. So again, that's very clear that even while I reject that, that's his Star Wars from the sequel trilogy era. Is five too young to go to that movie? Absolutely. But I still made him go... <laughs> Uh, with me and then he loved it so um so i'm gonna set rise of skywalker aside for just a moment because i do think the first two really show us these two modes and they came out at different times and they had different reasons why they were what they were in a lot of ways the force awakens had to to be fueled by nostalgia to capture this audience and to return to star wars chewy home as we already said and then when i look at the two films the the last Jedi, which personally is is my favorite of the the sequel trilogy, just to put my Sabbath cards on the table. Um, what I loved so much about Last Jedi is that it took what was familiar and it challenged me. It, uh, you know, the people online who complain that's not my Luke Skywalker, that was my Luke Skywalker, and that's who he became, and I had to deal with that, and I felt challenged by that. I felt that I had to kind of understand what it means when your heroes might fail you. And I felt that that really was a new, different take on Star Wars. Um, now, there's a million things in Last Jedi that are absolutely ripped right from nostalgia. It's not like it's... I'm not dealing in absolutes. I'm not a Sith, right? <laughs> but uh, but to me, I would, I would sum up those two as Force Awakens was all about returning to that place that made Star Wars magic. And Last Jedi was all about getting out of there breaking it right oh you're comfortable tough right like we're gonna mess it up and we're gonna make you uncomfortable and to me that has always influenced how i see these two uh these these fan reactions right some people said yes i want the challenge this is what i want i want something new and different and other people said no 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 no. this doesn't work for me so i i would say as time has gone on my read on it is that I think The Force Awakens has kind of faded a bit for a lot of people, and The Last Jedi has gotten better over time, like its reputation. So I guess I would ask each of you, like, do you think that's an accurate read on fandom? And please, you know, disagree if you want. And do you think that nostalgia is a piece of this, or am I just grasping at straws? Uh, Mr. LeClaire, your turn first. Um, pick up the straws that you just dropped all over the floor, Greg. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. No. Uh, yeah. You know, it's really, it's, it's real. I'm, this question couldn't come at a better time because I actually just watched force awakens with, um, my partner the other night. And what's interesting, she is, she had seen the originals a long time ago. So we watched the prequels first. She really liked, she didn't care for attack of the clones, but she loved Phantom Menace and revenge of the Sith. 
We watched Solo. She loved Solo. We, and she said, I'd really like to do the sequels next because I've seen the originals. I was like, let's do it. And uh, I was like, this will actually be kind of interesting to take someone from seeing the prequels to the sequels, right? It kind of, it kind of gets rid of some of the clout of the originals. And I could tell she didn't say it, but I could tell she was bored during a lot of Force Awakens. And at the end of it, I said, well, what did you think? And she said, well, I thought the acting was great. The characters were pretty wonderful. But she goes, it didn't feel magical. Like there was no spark to it. And I was like, "Mm." because every time I watch Force Awakens now, I feel hollow after. And I don't mean to sound so like dramatic um, because I'm very good at swallowing my own words. Um, When that movie came out in 2015, I was I remember being on the show and being like, I think that might be one of the best, except for maybe, you know, it's definitely no empire, but it's probably better than everything else. It is literally dead last on my list now. Um, And again, that doesn't mean I don't like it. Um, but it's your 11th favorite. It's my 11th favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I mean, I'll put it above the clone wars movie, but, um, <laughs> you know, I just, I felt like what she said, and, and I always like, I've, I've been really loving her perspective as a complete outsider, um, is that's exactly right. Like the prequels are not perfectly executed. The acting isn't great. The dialogue is very flawed, but there is a magic and wonder in the prequels that exists, um, which to me is nostalgic because I remember that magic and wonder of the original trilogy um, force awakens specifically. I just don't feel that. Um, and that's again, not to say that it's bad or it's not a good star Wars movie. It's just not my cup of tea. And obviously Greg suffered through a, basically a year of me being a complete pain in the butt about last Jedi. Um, Gladly suffered. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it was annoying, but I also, um, had the luxury of you being patient enough to continually explain to me why it was so good. Um, and, and, and it was never like, Carl, you're wrong. Let me tell you why this is right. But it was always, um, you know, it, it was, you know, listening to you talk about why it was so good and just the way you even ca- encapsulate it so simply and beautifully there about the way you talked about Luke being your Luke Skywalker. Um, you know, it is, like you said, it has just aged so well. I mean, Last Jedi, when it came out, was probably last on my list. It's number five on my list now. I mean, I love this movie. And like you said, it, it kind of just ages like a fine wine. Um, uh, it, it's so it's just so rich because of the fact that it takes that nostalgia and also moves it forward. It, it also like it, it breaks it down and says, hey, what would you do if? Um, and I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier of you know, specifically looking at the Star Wars movies and the impact nostalgia plays, I think it's beneficial to not just root it in nostalgia, um, right? There's a lot of stuff in Last Jedi that certainly brings you back to that feeling of the original movies, but it also challenges that feeling to grow. Um, so, f- again, for me, Last Jedi is leaps and bounds ahead of Force Awakens. Um, again, I, I don't fault Force Awakens. I think it did all the right things to reignite just pop culture's interest in Star Wars. Um, that w- I feel like that movie was made more for the general audience than the folks like us who have loved Star Wars nonstop since we were children. Um, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and again, I can speak for myself. I think because I still have such a childish view of Star Wars in some ways, um, in the way of just like I always go with that gut reaction first and foremost – um, that's not always the best reaction, right? Um, and Force Awakens and Last Jedi are the perfect example of that. Um, 
you know, I left Force Awakens in 2015. Like, wow, that was I'm on cloud nine. That was the best thing ever. But here, not even five years removed. It's I rarely watch it and I never look. I usually don't look forward to watching it. Whereas Last Jedi, I pop that in five or six times a year now um, and and enjoy it more so every time. So um, I don't know if I really got on the question of nostalgia there, Greg. I think I just like talked in a circle about why these movies work (laughs) or don't work for me. Um, But I think it's so to just sum it up with the nostalgia piece, I would say Force Awakens relies too heavily on nostalgia and it doesn't allow the story to grow. Um, it kind of just repackaged the original trilogy into one movie and it wasn't anything new, terribly new and exciting from a story building aspect. Whereas last Jedi did, it just said, Hey, remember those things you loved about star Wars? Um, I mean the feeling of wonder that I get still when I watch empire strikes back, the only, the only movie from the sequel trilogy that gives me that feeling is last Jedi. Um, when, when I see Ray walking into that uh, Jedi tree for the first time, I'm just like, oh, all my spiritual cackles are up, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, that's my long response to your simple question, Greg. Can can I give you a corollary on the question, Jason? Just to really throw you off guard and make you think harder. This is what we professors do. Uh, so I think uh, because I expect that you have many similar points of agreement, I want to ask you particularly, Carl and I only have a few years on you. It's not like you're really a different Star Wars generation, but you are more of a prequel kid than you are uh, an OT kid. Um, and I, I think Carl and I both brand ourselves as a like dark times kid between the <laughs> trilogies. Um, but I, I think one thing I've noticed about how fans closer to your age react to the sequels is there's a lot of resentment that they seem to reject the prequels and this comes from jj's comments perhaps more than the actual films themselves so when you think about kind of nostalgia for your star wars which is a different slightly different star wars than perhaps carl and i's star wars i just wonder um do you find that your reading of those films is fueled by your love of the prequels or do you have to kind of set that aside as you look at these films no i don't um because uh, it's jj's comments before you know outside of the movies and the movies themselves are two very very different things mm-hmm. uh, and people will say things and then they get hired to the project and be like, okay, yeah, we're going to completely ignore that thing I said five years ago and just <laughs> move on. So, we're going to delete those tweets, right? Yeah, a few right, a few yeah. people have done that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I things happen in the professional business world. You put things out in a tweet or a comment in an interview and then they come back to haunt you when you end up working on the project, you know, you know years later. So I don't really care that much about that sort of thing. Um, and they mention clones flat out in you know the force awakens you know uh kylo ren is is taunting uh hux well maybe your trooper uh training isn't so great we should have just gone with clones right which is even more funny because now we find out that snoke was a clone of (laughs) something the whole time so um but no, I don't have to look at that too differently from my Star Wars perspective, or my, my, my prequel perspective, honestly. Um, because there, the, the difference between the sequels and the prequels is the same distant difference that there was between the prequels and the originals. Um, 
they relate, but you know, not not in a super connected way. I mean, obviously, the prequels connect into what the originals did because that's the the story flow. But the way that they do things and the the way that they showcase things is very different. You know, each trilogy has its own flavor, has its own unique way it tells the story and the unique touch points that are the nostalgic things for people. What I will say is we're talking about, you know, Force Awakens and Last Jedi and the difference between them is I'm going to say, let's not separate them too much. You put them together, you get the the return to nostalgia with the Force Awakens. And you're like, all right, well, what do we do with that nostalgia? And we move forward with it in The Last Jedi, kind of like the comments I said earlier. You put them together and they work very well. Um, and and I think that's the thing that I I, I try to find those things. Um it's hard sometimes because uh, I feel like I'm kind of out in the middle of nowhere going, Hey, is anybody else doing this? Uh, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I think deeply about a lot of these things. Um, some would say too deeply, uh, for a fictional, you know, movie series, but I do. Um, but in terms of the nostalgia that each trilogy like i said hits its own touch points and hits its own moments that are those things that go ah that's it for you know a new hope it's that sunsets those sunsets can encapsulate all the nostalgia right there in one image phantom menace doors open and darth maul is standing there with his hood you know, that's the kind of thing. It's very different, but those are the nostalgic touch points that, you know, for those movies that really g- grab people. Uh, but they're very different things. So moving into the sequels, I don't, I don't see the prequel, my enjoyment of the prequels having any sort of negative influence on my enjoyment of the sequels. Um, because I, it's just different. The flavors are all different, even if the nostalgic attempts are still the same uh, that makes sense it, it does that's a that's a great set of points um being conscious of time i want to move over to the other example that that i was thinking about and again this is my attempt to kind of update the blog post since it was two years ago is i was thinking a lot about mandalorian and Mandalorian, to me, is a really interesting test case for this. Um, I will say, just since people don't know my story, I loved The Mandalorian. I loved the gallery series about The Mandalorian maybe twice as much as I loved <laughs> The Mandalorian. I just thought that was the best. And and one of the things that came out in that series is how much this has been fueled by nostalgia, right? John Favreau saying... We took the toys where your older brother got the cool toys, and we took the ones that were left, and we put Boba Fett IG-88 on an adventure together. They renamed him and all that. So I think it's really interesting that so much of The Mandalorian is fueled by that nostalgia, right? The toys, the old techniques. Um, At Celebration Chicago, I, I wasn't even in the Mando panel, but when they said they used actual spaceships, that reached me on the floor. I think Jason and I were walking around the floor while Carl was in the panel, yeah. and that reached me on the floor. And it was like, what? Like, are you serious? Real spaceships were used? And I think that fueled a lot of us to kind of be interested in the, the Mandalorian. Now, I, again, I want to just deal in broad strokes. Some people will disagree with this. As I look at people's reaction to the series, I think the Gunslinger is the least popular episode. This would be the Tatooine one. 
there's a lot of hate for Toro Calican. Um, not everybody hashtag Team Toro, uh, but there's a lot of hate for that character, and there's a lot of dislike of that episode. And to me, one way to explain that is that it might just have pushed the nostalgia too far. That I think some people look at that episode and they see they're just showing you things you know. Here's a back. Here's a is it a back or a bimpa? I can't even remember. It's a do back. It's a do back. And you see, uh, here's a do back. Here's a docking bay. Here are pit droids. Here's the cantina and our five D four. So I want to ask, and I'll throw it to you first, Carl. Like, when does nostalgia become just fan service? How mm. do we sense that line? And and then you can also reject that that's an important line if you want to. But wh- where's the line on that? Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Uh, I've been, and I've had to ask you as well as our friend Ben a few times to help make sense of the whole Toro Calican hate because I just don't get it. Like, I don't particularly like his character, but I don't hate his character. Um, I'm not a big fan of the actor, but that's fine. Um, But, you know, in a weird way, I actually feel like Mandalorian has done the perfect blend of nostalgia but also being something new. Um, and to, to get to the point of when does it become too much is maybe that's why chapter five is the least favorite is because it is just too fan servicey. Um, and I, w- I would say that the line gets crossed when, um, you're, you're not really telling a story. The story isn't moved forward. Um, the reason chapter five is my least favorite Mandalorian episode is because I feel like it's the one episode that if you removed it, it wouldn't take anything away from that show for me. Um, I don't feel that there's any story more momentum in that almost at all. Yes, there's there's a little bit. I can't think of much personally. Um, and I think you, you spent we wasted a whole episode going back to Tatooine, going back to the Mos Eisley Cantina. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's when it kind of crosses over. It, it, it nostalgia becomes fan service when the story suffers, when the story mm-hmm. isn't projected forward. Um, I think that's when it becomes fan service. Um, and I would say as much as I love Rise of Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker kind of teeters that line really close where uh, I think there are times where it does. It kind of whoop, 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 we're dipping over into fan service. OK, whoa, whoa, we're back on the line now, um, you know, and t- so uh, and I'll, I'll so the first time I saw Rise of Skywalker, uh, I leaned over to my friend at Mike at the end of it and I said, that was a really good fan service movie. <laughs> like, mm. and that was my initial gut reaction. Um, I felt, you know, kind of disappointed by it, but also just kind of put it away, you know? And then I thought about, well, it was also really fun. So I'm just going to focus on what I really had fun with. And, you know, in the last several months, I've come to really enjoy it because I've just focused on the parts that I think really work. But I think that movie especially really kind of crossed the line from nostalgia into fan service. Um, and I would say that fan service makes a Star Wars story into a Star Wars product, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, it ceases That's- to be something – it ceases to be a story and just becomes a product. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I feel like I, – so I would say that Mandalorian does a good job of balancing it for the most part because we – like. I feel like all the things that are nostalgic, you know, the, oh, did you see that Easter egg there or there? I don't feel like they're quintessential to the story. Um, I think they're there for the folks like us who've been with Star Wars for a very long time. Um, And folks like John Favreau and Dave Filoni, who also grew up as kids in the OT era. 
just putting in those toys in the sandbox that they played with as kids. But I feel like the story itself is something new. And I think that's why it's the perfect balance is I feel like we're getting a whole new type of hero's journey with Din Djarin. Um, he is, this is not Luke Skywalker's story. It's not Ray's story. Um, this is a new type of story. And I think that it's a very modern type of hero that we need right now culturally. Um, I mean, I've made that point in the past about how I feel like uh, Din Djarin, while not perfectly, but in a lot of ways is pointing us towards a healthy view of masculinity as opposed to the constant toxic views of masculinity we have in pop culture. Um, so I think that it's telling us a new type of story, but it's also uh, visually it's giving us a lot of comfort food. Um, so and, and I would say that kind of the gut reaction to Mandalorian um, was – I really had an expectation of what that story was going to be, and I wasn't terribly excited about it. Like, oh, great, just some bounty hunter going around capturing people. Like, that's not a story I'm excited about. But it wasn't that at all, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, it became this, like, morally beautiful story about one person finding purpose through protecting a child. Um, and and I would say that the whole – all the nostalgic pieces in there for old fans are certainly not what's driving that show for people who are just getting into – Star Wars because of Mandalorian, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, um, both when I was back at work and just people in my social life who are like, I love Mandalorian. And they've never seen half the Star Wars movies, but they love Mandalorian. So they're not being drawn in for any nostalgic reasons. There is something original here, too. So to your point, I would say that it does a great job of balancing it. Yeah. I would, I would concur with Carl on that. Um, and I think it's a good distinction um, as far as nostalgia use because when nostalgia is overused, it does impinge the story or it becomes too obvious. If it's sort of – if the characters are practically nudge, nudge, wink, winking at you <laughs> from the screen – that's a bit much. Now, you're, you're going to get your, you know, I've got a bad feeling about this uh, and your, you know, 1138, your THX 1138 moments in all the Star Wars movies. Those are those are running things. Um, and you, you look for those and you expect those. Those are fun little things that kind of are just peppered throughout there. Nostalgia is great as a seasoning. It cannot build a story. Um because then if that were the case, my Star Wars would just be full of lightsabers and, you know, Gungans. battles and Gungans and R2 units and things like that. And a Star Wars story that does not create. Um, so, <laughs> um, which I think is why, why I think, Carl, you made a very nice uh, distinction is that the, a lot of the nostalgic uses in the Mandalorian are visual and sometimes audio. Um, mm. It's just little things that you kind of hear. It's it's not part of the the story um, per se, but it's just flavored in there in bits and pieces along the way, and they're fun. It's really fun, and it, it goes ah, I see what you're doing there, um, but it's not so overt to end up working its way into a story point, which you're right. The rise of Skywalker, as much as I enjoy that movie, cause it's a fun movie. Uh, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride from beginning to end. Um, it does step in the over saturated nostalgia puddle 
every so often. It 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 tracks its way through the movie a little bit. Um, and I'm going to be perfectly honest here. I'm fine with a little bit of fan service. Like, just, you know, give me something. A little bit of that is totally fine with me. But it does it, – it's a fine line. And unfortunately, that line is a very subjective one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so what might be perfectly acceptable for, for some people – is over the line for others and doesn't even come close to other people's lines. So that's the, that is the problem because nostalgia is such a personal thing um, that your nostalgia is different from my nostalgia is different from Greg's nostalgia and none of it's going to perfectly line up. We can have a lot of overlap and I think there is a lot of that out there, but the minute you say, well, that's too much and somebody goes, but I love that. Uh, you're you're running up against each other, and and if you can't find a way to amicably talk about that, then you have problems. So, um, and and that's why it's hard to to pick a moment where it's like, yes, this is where nostalgia is too much, because it's such an ambiguous thing, um, and it's such a personal thing, uh, and and how much you enjoy nostalgia also plays into where that line is drawn, um, unfortunately. So it. It, it's an, it's an imperfect. I'm not even going to call it science um, because it's not. Uh, you know, it's just an imperfect thing. And uh, yeah, I, I I do think Mandalorian has a has found a way to, for the most part, thread that needle very well. Um, but there are there are definitely moments where sometimes you go, ah, oh, I see what you did, or or it's like, wait a minute, did they? Oh, they did. And that's <laughs> really excited when you have to take a second look at it and be like, oh, sneaky, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's, that's my thoughts. What do you think, I, though, Greg? I think I'm stealing this from the Force Center podcast. Um, excuse me. In my quarantine times, I've been listening to more Star Wars podcasts than is healthy. So I might have the wrong podcast. But um, <laughs> they they say, yeah, what's the matter with fan service? I'm a fan. Service me. Like, there is something that feels inherently good about it. So I think I'm largely in agreement with the two of you that, like, it has to have a larger purpose, right? Um, and I would connect what Carl just said back to what Jason's original comment was, which is, yeah, so you're telling us a new story with with new types of archetypes, right? That is new to Star Wars. If we were three fans of Western movies, maybe our dads, I don't know your dads, but, um, you know, uh, then maybe we would be like, this is just wolf and cub. Why are they, you know, it's a, it's a very familiar set of tropes. Um, but maybe that's what makes Mandalorian work is that makes us seek out that, oh, I want to watch a samurai movie. I want to watch a Western movie to try to figure that. Maybe it can then become an opportunity for growth. But I do think, for me personally, the line is, is this rewarding me for the things I already believe? Or is this challenging me to think through those beliefs? Not necessarily change those beliefs, but figure out why I believe those things, Mm. right? Um, One of the examples I use with my students all the time is I've realized, I actually realized this being a, a biker in Boston, like a bicycle biker, not a motorcycle biker. Uh, <laughs> shocking if you've seen my picture, I know. Uh, but I would get so angry when another bike pulled up next to me at a red light and then ran the red light. 
I would freak out and I would say the most vile things, right? I hope your mother dies and rots with maggots in her brain. And then I'm like, why am I so angry about this biker running a red light? And so I had then kind of interrogated, like, why am I like this? There's something about following the rules. I've been taught my whole life the only way to get ahead is to follow the rules. That's something that's a value to me, and I learned that about myself. So I think when I can, when nostalgia pushes me to figure out why something is the way it is in my own reaction to it, that's really powerful. If it's just, you know, there was there was a brand of parody movie that was popular when I was in college, like the Scary Movie franchise, and it wasn't smart parody. It was just you know this thing we're gonna have a picture of this thing in it right like hey remember those six flag commercials with the bald guy dancing he's in our movie and then they shoot him or whatever and you're like oh okay i knew that thing so there and there's a brand of internet t-shirt that's like this too like let me just put two things together and reward you for knowing things so i don't like that that to me is more fan service if you're just confirming what i already want my personal response it gets stronger when a, something challenges me or or at least makes me if not rethink what i believe think about why i believe what i believe um so um i think you know there's an Im- implication here um th- in our discussion that we do think nostalgia overload means things get stagnant. And I would put that in Star Wars terms the way George would have us put it, which is you got to get off the farm, right? Nostalgia is staying on the moisture farm. It's being committed to your simple life with your family. It's time to grow and to push ourselves and to go chase our Death Star. I guess that's fanboys terms, too. Um, And I do think some of the dangers of Star Wars fandom is um, arrested development, not the television program, but the literal psychological thing, which is we get rewarded now. And sociologists have studied this, especially in men roughly our age a little younger that male adolescence now stretches to about age 30 right when you don't feel like you're quite grown up yet and you know sitting here in a room full of toys i exemplify this so please don't think i'm you know casting uh, aspersions on anybody so if we're supposed to get off the farm um i want to pose this one last question to you because i see we've gone a little long um how do creatives find the right nostalgia how do they find ways to challenge us with that nostalgia and make us rethink this? Um, I actually really cool. My cell phone just rang. It's Kennedy. She just said Jason Boyd and Carla Claire have been put in charge of story group. <laughs> they get to determine what that nostalgia is going to look like, how they're going to use it. So um, she wanted to hear from Jason first. Uh, like, do you have any ways? And I want to just recognize it's a hard question, but how do you think creatives can, can find the right nostalgia? Oh gosh, um, Kathleen's waiting. <laughs> <laughs> How do you find the right nostalgia? I think the right nostalgia um, isn't a specific. <sighs> it's not replaying a scene. The right nostalgia is locating why a scene felt amazing. You know, it's the feeling. Hmm. It, it really is the feeling. It's not the moment itself. It's the feeling. And if you can find a way to hint at the moment enough to bring that feeling in, it's like, and I'm going to use uh, Last Jedi here, it's like when Luke is sitting out and dying at the end of the movie and he looks out and we see the twin sons over Octo. Um, that is, 
immediately taking you back to the moment where he watches the sun sets in A New Hope. That is the, that is the point. That is the design. You're not returning to Tatooine literally to watch those suns set again. Not until Rise of Skywalker. Um, but that's more of a button end to a larger arc. Um, but for Luke, this is this is a metaphorical return. This is a completion of a journey. This is this is it. We we made it. This is this is why I left in the first place. And he gets to have that moment and connect back to the thing that kind of started it all for him. Well, not actually ever returning um, in any real sense. He feels it. He feels that moment, and we do. We feel that with him. Um, and I think that's a very, very clever, very creative visual way to do that. Um, it, it's very hard when I don't have a story in front of me to say, well, we can add this here and we can mm-hmm. take that there, because that's that's where you know it's the creative process. But when, when you're basically recreating a moment or just grabbing elements of a moment or a scene and shoving them into something just to say, ah, ha, ha, you know, that I think is where you run a problem and run a risk. Um, but the, when you use those things to capture a feeling and not capture a moment, I think that's the nostalgia that's, that's good. And I think in today's pop culture and not, not just, you know, and I'm not going to point star Wars specifically because I think star Wars on the whole is one of the better franchises that handles this, but in a lot of pop culture, it's not that it's like, aha, we're going to recreate ghostbusters, but we're going to change all the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, that sort of thing. It's, um, we're, we're going to, you know, go back to Jurassic park, um, and just say Jurassic world and, and that sort of thing. And, and there's, there is some fun in that, but, it doesn't last because it's a moment that it's being recreated, not a feeling. And the high isn't as strong, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not your shiny Jurassic Park cheek. It's the busted, broken down one in the jungle. It doesn't <laughs> exactly. quite as good. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you're, and I do think in general, in a lot of ways, uh, pop culture and, and movies in Hollywood in general just are more interested in the imagery of a scene uh, in, and expecting that to create the feeling of nostalgia rather than actually finding out what that feeling is and finding a way to have that feeling come back in a new but familiar way. So just to, to offer an example of that, Chewie, we're home works because Han has never said that before. And we've right. never seen Han and Chewie standing right there. You change it to Chewie sitting at the game table and Han saying, you know, you really ought to let the Wookiee win. And it doesn't work anymore, yeah. right? You yeah. get the feeling instead of that. So it's a good example. All right. Kathleen yeah. wants to hear from you, Carl. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, I, would, I, I often come back um, to what Stephen Colbert said. At the uh, when he when he paneled for I think it was for Rise of Skywalker right at Celebration Chicago, and the the couple words he said that I've just latched onto ever since and I think it's a perfect way to describe Star Wars for us as we grow is that Star Wars is an escapism that inspires us. Um, So right nostalgia 
right? Uh, Star Wars, you know, fan service is not inherently evil. It's not inherently bad. Um, and at the end of the day, all Star Wars is now fan service, right? Star Wars has been fan service since Empire Strikes Back in a lot of ways, right? It, we got a product that we all liked and they keep giving it to us. So we're being served as fans since 1980. Yep. That's not new. Um, no. But I would say I think what Colbert presented to us at that particular time and, and, and I particularly respect Stephen Colbert a ton because of who he is as a person and because of the dialogue that he even creates in our culture that is so fresh and needed. Um, for someone like him who grew up with Star Wars in the 70s and 80s to say that I loved it because I could escape into my room with these action figures, but it always inspired me. Um, so I would say the right kind of nostalgia provides this sense of escape from the, the troubles of life. Um, right, the, the right use of nostalgia in that article I was referencing earlier talks about how it ultimately gives you um, a sense of rootedness. Um, and I think the, the example you gave from Last Jedi is quite perfect for that, Jason. As Luke gives himself in that one final moment, he is rooted in what started his journey, in this, this desire to do and be more than where he was. And that desire to do and be more changes as you grow, right? Um, so I would say the right type of nostalgia then um, allows you to step away from some of the particularities of the world in which we live in but it in but it also gives you that feeling of inspiration that challenges challenges you to grow beyond where you are right now um that's what i love about star wars um you know as a kid star wars made me feel like i could do anything and be anyone and star wars today that still speaks to me is the star wars moments that make me feel that um, Solo is that mo- movie for me in the Disney era. Um, and it does happen to be very nostalgic in a lot of ways um, because it makes me feel rooted to what I fell in love with Star Wars in, which is it made me feel like anything was possible. So those moments of Han first taking the helm of the Falcon, that moment of you know him running back to Lando because he's a selfless person, um, those are the moments that today... I need to be reminded of those lessons. And I think that we need to be reminded in new ways. Um, So uh, the nostalgia has to capture that feeling of escape, which is rooted in a sense of fun, which is what brings us ultimately always back to Star Wars is that it's fun. Um, But it needs to take those lessons that we learned when we were children and teach them to us now as adults which isn't easy. So I don't have like a hard and fast rule on that. And I don't think that there is one because that's difficult. Um, And I think that the dialogue within Star Wars community now shows the difficulty of that question. Right. Um, And uh, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I'll reference one more time the, the Star Wars documentary, the force within us, which is by the way, is it's available on Amazon prime for any of you who have it. And I, I would say overall it's a really fun documentary because it just celebrates the love of Star Wars. But there are a lot of folks within that documentary who show the pitfalls of the fact that they only love Star Wars for what it made them feel, what it used to make them feel. Um, so it's 
it's hard to keep loving something when you're in your 30s that you fell in love with when you were 10 years old, unless it changes to speak to you as a 30-year-old. Um, so the wonder that always brings you back to Star Wars needs to be there. Um, but if it's not changing you now, I say that it, I would say that it's ultimately failing you. But I don't know. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I I think both of you hit on a lot of things that are in line with what I think about it. Um, I think when I look to the sequel trilogy, when I look to Mandalorian, um, I something that drives me as a fan always is the connection of Star Wars to myth, right? And when I think of A New Hope, which I didn't experience in 1977, I saw it much later, probably early 90s, um, But what I know of the creation of that is George Lucas needed to speak to children, right? He said, this is a bad time to be in America. It's hard to figure out where things are at. And I want to give you a myth that tells you, you know, you might not understand LBJ and Vietnam and what's going on there. But I want to just simplify it down to you that our culture would tell you these things, these values, right? Love others as much of yourself as yourself. Be selfless. Don't be selfish. That's the light side. That's all you have to do to be good. And so when I look to the present day, I think the best way for Star Wars to get nostalgic nostalgia right is to find the message that needs to ha- to be given to the present day. So one of the things I think you and I disagreed a lot about when Last Jedi came out, and I I know you've changed on this, I think, um, is you often ask the question like, well, I don't know why they're telling these sequel movies. And of course, we all know the deep down reason is money, 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 right? (laughs) Mickey loves his dollar bills. But um, I think that was a really challenging question to me. Like, okay, yeah, what, what is Carl asking? Like, what is the purpose behind these stories? And for me, why TLJ is the strongest of the sequel trilogy is that it told me a message in the mythic language of nostalgia that helped me grow and change. That I needed to understand it is really fun to escape into this simplistic world of right and wrong, light side, dark side. But you still need to understand that it is a complex world and your heroes can let you down and the bad guys can have some pretty okay points to make. Um, and so I, I like that part of, of last Jedi. And I think a lot of other people don't necessarily, and I respect that, you know, but the fact that, um, one of my favorite scenes, and this is on nobody's list of top scenes. I don't think I really like DJ explaining like, Good guys, bad guys, it's all the same, brother. It's all the people with the money controlling things. When I look at America, the world today, good guys, bad guys, it's all fake. It's all the people controlling the money that are just manipulating us. Sorry to get political on your wampus lair. Um, So I was really inspired by that. And it's like, yeah, it's such an important message to me. And some of my dissatisfaction in Rise of Skywalker is like, hey, just kidding. It's Secret Sith who built a fleet on a planet. It's not arms dealers anymore. It's not this. So I kind of had this really rich modern day connection to me and it was ripped away and it didn't make sense anymore as a part of that. So um, that's where I think I land is I want I want creatives to use the Star Wars nostalgia 
to teach me something about who I am, what I believe, and what the present day means, right? Where people needed to learn the true values in the late 70s, I think in the 20 teens, we need to be aware it's a lot more complex and it's a lot more difficult. And I, I think I tried to embrace that. So um, it's not a cure-all, but that's what would work for me. And that's what I would tell Kathleen before she definitely kicked me out of Skywalker Ranch and never <laughs> let me back on the grounds again. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. This is a good conversation, gentlemen. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nostalgia is a powerful drug. Um, and I don't know if either of you have watched the HBO Watchmen series that came out, I think, earlier this year. Um, but I was able to to watch that recently, and it was fantastic. And in Watchmen, there is a drug that they sell called nostalgia. And it's basically a pill that you take that helps you go back to those fond memories of your past. Um, and the point of it is, some, is is literally, it's a drug. It's something that allows you to escape. Um, and ultimately, sorry, minor spoiler alert here, one of the characters takes too much and takes someone else's nostalgia, right? So the, the nostalgia medicine, drugs they give you is specific to each individual. So like if I took Greg's nostalgia pills, I'd get a flashback into Greg's old world. It'd be very you know disconcerting it's not my yeah it's terrible back there (laughs) (laughs) um but right like and and it's just i i found that that was you know i thought that was a it's a new modern story that's really again hitting you in the face with hey nostalgia has become a drug i think it was the point they were kind of making there is not that it's bad um you know but it can be abused right Mm. um but I think that, you know, nostalgia, um, <clears throat> it, it's, it, it can be so good because it helps us feel something that we don't have anymore per se, um, but it can be positive because it says, uh, where do you find that now? I think, which is really important. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I think that's a great place to, to wrap up this conversation. Um, so before we do, Greg had a fantastic idea of doing uh, a new type of matchup. Um, so Greg, what it was, you have an idea of matching up, two scenes from star Wars <laughs> against each other um, in the sense of nostalgia. Um, so what scenes do you have for us? Uh, so what it basically, what, what of these two scenes, which is your favorite nostalgic scene? Yeah. So I, I definitely want to hear a lot from the Wampa's lair. If, if it hasn't been clear, this is me working through my own internal debates and my own thoughts. And that's why I think it turned into an interrogation at times of you two, because I need some help kind of piecing these together. So just in general, um, I'm on Twitter at Ioncanon, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N, you know, all the hardest ways to spell those words. Um, and if you want to talk about these topics, please hit me up. 
But I thought it would be fun to kind of take the temperature of the Larians and see where they're at, what they respond to in modern Star Wars. Are you fueled by the nostalgia that, you know, keeps you feeling at same old high? Or are you looking for something new and different mixed into the mix? Um, so I thought it would be kind of cool to hear your response to two scenes and i picked two scenes that to me one represents like good classic nostalgia feelings in star wars and the other one was something very new and different so the two scenes are probably two of my top five scenes in in disney era star wars the first would be the solo kessel run i would call that pure nostalgia right the reminiscence therapy music, the old action with the Falcon, to Carl's point, not just Han behind the yoke, but Chewie jumping in and taking over, the the flipping around asteroids, all of that feels a lot like nostalgia to me. And is that kind of your top thing you respond to? But on the other side, I'm going to put um, the throne room scene from last jedi you know two super easy things to compare um so the the throne room scene in last jedi i think worked for me personally because as i sat in the theater i was like i know how this is going to go and then it was luke skywalker's this isn't going to go how you think right no we're gonna kill snoke sorry spoilers um and then we're gonna team them up you think it's all settled for good and then it's not going to work out that way. It's going to be this crazy standoff between the two, which is actually probably where you thought the scene was going to end. But in the middle of it, you got convinced that they were together forever now. Um, hashtag Raylo. So I want to hear from from Larians, which of those scenes gets like the bigger response, the bigger like, you know, gets your Star Wars juices flowing. That sounds gross. Um, so it can be your favorite or it could be like, which was your, did you have a bigger reaction to uh, when you saw it? So um, I really look forward to trolling the responses to this and seeing what people say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can say right now on Twitter, I know where it'll go. Because um, our Twitter <laughs> following is predominantly Last Jedi lovers, um, which is great. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that as a, as a slam, but uh, they, they tend to retweet things that will give deeper love to last Jedi. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I am curious though, overall just where, where folks will land with that. And I think that's just, uh, that's so brilliant, Greg too. Cause it is, it's just, which flavor do you want? Right. Yeah. Do yeah. you, do you want, uh, do you want vanilla or do you want chocolate twist? Right. Like, <laughs> uh, and I would say in a lot of ways, there's no, there really is no wrong answer. It's just a preference question. Um, it really is. What kind of what kind of nostalgia do you want? You know, uh, I love it. It's a fantastic, a fantastic uh, matchup here, and I'm very curious to see what people are going to say. So, oof. Although I, Carl, yes, if people to weigh in on that matchup um, or anything else that we talked about, you know, nostalgia wise or anything else Star Wars, where can people do that? Uh, well, as I said, we are on Twitter at Wampas Lair. Um, we are also on Facebook, Wampas Lair Podcast. We have an Instagram that I'm having a ton of fun with. Uh, you can you can even weigh in there at the underscore Wampas Lair. Um, and you can always email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. Um, Greg, uh, where I know you already said it once, but remind us again where folks can interact with you and maybe even continue this conversation about nostalgia. <laughs> 
Uh, I am at Ion Cannon on Twitter, and I'm trying to grow my Instagram at Ion Cannon, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. Uh, my Instagram is just my Star Wars collection, and it's a lot of fun to get to share it with all of you. And if you're really interested in the myth part of Star Wars, I did a video for Star Wars Day trying to give something back to fans. Um, and you can find that on YouTube. It's called Blackboard Star Wars, and it walks us through the myth cycle of Joseph Campbell. And it's a fantastic, such a good, such a good film. I mean, you have a PhD in literature and you teach classes on the hero's journey <laughs> and <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of very straight to the point breakdown of the hero's journey. And that video is phenomenal. So I Thank highly you. encourage everyone to, to check that out. Um, so, yeah. Well, Everyone, I think that's going to wrap up this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This has been episode number 392, Nostalgia in Star Wars. For Carl and Greg, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. Star Wars, Episode 3, Black Knight, White Princess, and Pawns. Long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. High among the rebel councils stood the royal house of the planet Alderaan, which had long been a loyal supporter of the old republic before it was subverted and overthrown by the empire. The dedication of the royal house to the return of peace and justice was total and fierce. Ordinary individuals swept along by the fervor of rebels like the Princess Leia Organa found themselves enmeshed in critical events. The center stage of galactic history was sometimes occupied by the unlikeliest of men and women and non-humans and even machines. R2-D2, wake up. R2. Attention, all droids and automata to Spaceship Tandemy 4. This is the Labor Pool Overseer speaking. On my command, activate. Oh, no. Hey, you power droids over there, get perking. Come on, I said activate. Really? We barely have time to recharge before we're sent back to work. Life on a spaceship is nothing but suffering. Come on, you two. I tell you, R2, my protocol duties were paradise compared Come to this. R2, are you listening to me, R2? R2-D2, wake up, you little slacker! <laughs> what do you mean, have you missed anything? I'm straining my programming as it is, watching after myself without worrying about you as well. All right, all right.
right. Fall in. What's that supposed to mean? Cheer up. Maybe it is just another work phase for you, but it's another round of humiliating drudgery for me. Quiet down. Assignments are as follows. Power droids proceed to designated recharging stations. Maintenance teams report to your scheduled projects. Move it! I do so miss the fragile nuances of human conversation. The subtle social interplay at receptions and ceremonies. No, I haven't enjoyed working with you. You're nothing but a plumber. If you astro-droids had any real intelligence, you wouldn't need an interpreter counterpart, and I could return to my job in protocol. Listen up. I'm the labor pool overseer in the ship, and none of you better forget it. Now, special work detail. One astro-droid and one counterpart interpreter. Otto, do you think he'll pick us? Let me see now. R2-D2 and counterpart, right? Oh, I beg your pardon, sir, but I am C-3PO, human relations droid, on temporary assignment during this voyage. Gag it! When I want to hear from a droid, I'll say so. <laughs> you know how to behave among humans, 3CPO? That is uh, C-3PO, sir, and yes, I am well versed in over 100... You and your partner here report to Captain Antilles, understand? Captain Antilles? Oh, I was one of his translators. Do whatever the captain says. Get me? Get you most emphatically, sir. And may I say... Attention all personnel and automata. The Tantity 4 will revert from hyperdrive to normal space in 15 minutes. Nick Gang's Alpha and Beta report to station. Reversion? Now? We're nowhere near our scheduled destination. Oh, well. Move out, 3CPO! You're late already! They're moving out, sir. We'll do our best, rest assured. And the name is uh, C-3PO, sir. That's C... Come on, Artu. Princess Leia, may I say once more that I am opposed to this plan of yours. If you must, Antilles. The moment we leave hyperspace and emerge in that restricted solar system, we'll be in serious trouble. Diplomatic immunity or no, we'll be subject to boarding and arrest if we're caught by the Imperial Starfleet. Antilles, we either act now or lose any chance the Rebel Alliance has to stop the Empire. There's no time for caution. Ah, I believe our droids are here. They'll be quiet. Captain Antilles, may it please you, sir, I have the honor of reporting for duty. C-3PO, human relations droid. Oh, yes, and my... my subordinate, R2-D2. 3PO? You were in protocol, weren't you? What are you doing with a maintenance droid for a counterpart? There turned out to be little needful interpreters on this trip, Captain. I might put in parenthetically, sir, that Fine, I... fine, 3PO, but we don't have time for that right now. Oh. Now bring your counterpart over here by the emergency airlock. Oh, come on, Pachu. Now, I want you both to listen to this programming tape. This is voice override, actuating code Epsilon Actual. We confirm that, Captain. We are both awaiting your instructions. You're aware of the identity of the person standing next to me? Uh, certainly, sir. She is the Princess Leia Organa of all around, representative of the Imperial Senate. This is a command control instruction. Both of you will restrict and protect all references to Leia Organa's identity and presence inboard this vessel. She is designated a command control voice. Yes, sir. Will that suffice? Your Highness, this interpreter droid is a bit eccentric, but mm. he's dependable. Will they resist interrogation probing? They'll do whatever you tell them to without fail. That includes lying and self-destructing. You there. Astrodroid. R2-D2, is that your name? 
I want you to leave this bridge through the emergency airlock and make your way across the hull to the ship's Navi computer sensor suite. You're to position yourself there and behave exactly as though you were carrying out repairs. Keep in touch with 3PO, make reports, just as though you were actually fixing a malfunction. 3PO, attach this transceiver to your counterpart and maintain communications with him over this comlink. Very good, Captain. Well, Antilles, you think it'll work? The droids will comply. At least it will give us some kind of alibi for being in a restricted solar system. Well, let's hope the Imperial Starfleet is in an accommodating mood. We're about to re-enter normal space. C-3PO, send R2 through the airlock and cycle the hatches. Yes, What did you go up to? Stasis Leia, I hope this message you intend to intercept is worth the risk. It cost the Rebel Alliance over a hundred lives to get the information we're about to try for, Captain. R2 is outboard and crossing the hub, Your Highness. May I ask what it is? Have you ever heard rumors of an Imperial strategic weapons project? called Death Star. Arto is positioning himself by the navicomputer sensor We're told suit. it's an enormous space battle station with enough firepower to destroy entire planets. But that's incredible. Wait, I... there's something coming through. That's a scrambled transmission. If I've got the code keyed properly, we should be hearing it now. Come in, Skyhook. Come in, Skyhook. Skyhook here. We only have moments. Prepare to copy. Ready and copying. Go ahead. How's reception? Perfect. Antilles, what's that? An Imperial cruiser. They found us already. We need only a few more moments. Unidentified ship. This is the Devastator. Heave to at once and prepare for a security search and interrogation. Devastator, this is the Tantive IV. We have an extravehicular malfunction. A maintenance unit is working on it now. I need more time. We are a consular ship on a diplomatic mission and we'll clear this system as soon as we have effected repairs. The transmission's not finished, Antilles. Your Highness. What is it, C3VO? Artu says he's being probed by sensors. We acknowledge your transmissions, Tantive IV. The Devastator will hold fire, maintain your present course, and prepare to receive Imperial investigators. Princess Leia, we have fallen into a stinger's nest. There are three Imperial battle wagons in close orbit around the planet. We're almost through, Antilles. I can't hold them for much That's longer. That's it. We've got it. Get us out of here. Devastator, we are on a diplomatic mission and are not to be detained or diverted. Attention, alternate command center. Alternate command here. Battle stations. All defensive shields up. Accelerate to full speed and get us into hyperdrive. C-3PO, get your counterpart back in board. R2-D2, you must hurry. The ship is accelerating. Get back in board or we'll be swept off the bubble. Enemy 4, this is the Devastator. Our sensors indicate you have intercepted illegal transmissions in this solar system. Heave to or we'll open fire. They'll have sensor gun lock on us any moment now. Quickly, R2, quickly get back inside. Engage main drive now. The Devastator has opened fire. This is R2. He's the enemy. Please. Hyperdrive now. R2. We must be stopped. Engage hyperdrive. R2, are now. You there? We've made it. We're clear. Damage report, all sections. So it seems, Your Highness. Antilles, we've done it. We've got the plans. And now for Tatooine. Tatooine? But that's way out in the border region. That's where we're going, Antilles. I'm to present my father's request for help to an old friend of his. We're taking a very important personage back with us to Alderaan. Important? Someone from Tatooine? That's about the least important place in the galaxy. Oh, the droids. Oh, I suppose we should have their memories flushed. Yeah, I'd rather do it myself when we reach port. C-3PO, R2-D2? Yes, Captain? Report is stern to the labor pool. Refer any inquiries to me. Certainly, sir. Come along, R2. First officer, sir. prepare a course for the planet Tatooine. Tatooine, sir? You have your orders. Very good, sir. Navigator, lay on a course for the planet Tatooine. Your Highness, you look as though you could use some rest, if you'll pardon my saying so. Oh, yes, perhaps you're right. 
Summon me when we're approaching Tatooine, Antilles. Course for Tatooine set and holding, sir. sooner. How long to reversion? We're commencing reversion to normal space now, Your Highness. Mm. Well, there it is. Tatooine. As barren and unfriendly a world as human beings ever settled. Begin our approach. Captain, sensors report another ship emerging from hyperspace. What? Sir, we're receiving a signal from another ship. Patch it through, but maintain communication silence. And get me an identification on that ship. Patching through, sir. Attention, Tandavi 4. Surrender in the name of the Emperor. We have you under our guns. Sir, it's the Devastator. The Devastator? That's the ship that fired on us before. How could they possibly have followed us through hyperspace? Attention all crew. Battle stations. Battle Combat stations. control. Battle all deflector shields. All crew Full power. Charge main gun batteries. Navigator, prepare to accelerate out of this system. Commo officer, inform the Devastator this is a consular ship on a diplomatic mission. Can't we make Tatooine, Antilles? We'd be lucky to evade capture, Your Highness. Tatooine will have to wait. Accelerate to full speed. Accelerating, sir. Stand by. Princess Leia, Your Highness, are you all right? I seem to be. What happened? Open fire. Resume acceleration. Damage control, I want a full report right away. Primary shields near the main solar fit are gone, sir. Our secondaries are holding at 50%. Evasive action. Princess, we're no match for a battle cruiser, but we still might escape if we can just stay out of range. Captain, direct hit on our main solar fit. Reactor and main drive are heating towards critical. Shut down main drive and reactor. Antilles! It's either that or the ship will blow herself apart, Your Highness. Imperial warship is closing with us, Captain. She has a tractor beam fastened to the Tantavi. She's taking us straight into her dorsal boarding lock. Antilles, listen to me. They mustn't take us yet. You've got to delay them. If we resist, the cost and lives will be high, Princess. And if we surrender, the rebellion is lost. First officer, issue arms to all crewmen and stand by to repel borders. All section leaders, issue arms to all crewmen, report to combat Evacuate stations the bridge. and repel borders. All personnel, report to combat stations. I don't know how much time we can buy, Your Highness. Isn't there some way to get the data tapes off the Tantavi? They've got our communications jammed and they'd blast any escape pod leaving the ship. One of the crew could conceal it. The Devastator had to track us by following a signal. Someone aboard the Tantave must have smuggled in a homing device. We can't trust anyone with it. What was that? We've docked in their boarding lock. We must destroy the tapes now so that they'll have no evidence. There must be a way. Antilles, the droid. The Imperials might not blast an escape pod if, if it were only carrying a droid. Princess Leia, they'll blast anything that leaves or falls from this ship. Well, it's worth a chance. I still have restricted access to that droid R2-D2. We can send the information down to Tatooine in his memory banks. Your Highness, a droid? You can't be serious to entrust a maintenance machine with the future of the Rebellion? It's that or nothing. I know it's a slim chance, Antilles, but it's something. Captain, Imperial Stormtroopers are inboard. They'll have heavy weapons and full combat armor. My crew won't be able to hold them back for long. Antilles, if we began to jettison empty pods now, the escape might look less obvious. Your Highness, my duty is to my ship. The sacrifice will have been meaningless unless we deliver the plans. We have to try. All right, all right. Take the portside companionway astern. Right. The droid should be by the labor pool. Okay. You'll have to use an escape pod in the stern cluster. Here, take my blaster. I'll do what I can. So will I. Goodbye, Antilles. Number one escape pod cluster. Go. Captain, stormtroopers are driving us back. Delay them as long as you can. Withdraw, but continue resistance. Number two cluster. 
go. We're taking severe losses. Stormtroopers are advancing on your position. Number three cluster. Go. Vader will want to question this one himself. Oh, scum. You didn't even have the guts to fight, huh? Maybe... Maybe I knew resistance was useless. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Captain? We'll wait here. You can join the rest of your scum friends later. Lord Vader is coming aboard. Lord Vader, the Death Star plans are not in the ship's computers. Which is there, Captain? This, sir. Well, Captain, what have you done with those plans? I don't know what you're talking about. Your life is in my hand, Captain, just as your throat is. Don't struggle or I'll close my fist. Now, what about those transmissions you intercepted? We, we intercepted no transmissions. This, this is a consular ship. We're on a diplomatic... If this is a consular ship, where is the ambassador? Well... an insect. A death without meaning. Commander? Sir? Tear this ship apart until you've found those plans, and bring me the ambassador. I want the Princess Leia Organa alive. That passageway, secure the junction, hold all rebel prisoners for collection. The rest of you stick with me. Your orders is to go all the way astern and work your way forward again. Droid. Droid, quickly. Which way to the labor pool? The labor pool, which way? Oh, never mind. Oh, thank goodness. What? R2D2, come here. Voice override. Actuating code, uh, Epsilon Actual. Switch to holographic recording mode. Acknowledge, R2. Begin recording now. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I'm unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack and I'm afraid that my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the security of the Rebellion into the memory system of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely to Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. End recording, R2. R2? R2, D2, where are you? You will deliver that message and the information that you're about to receive to Obi-Wan Kenobi on the planet beneath us. Are you hiding, He's located R2? in the vicinity of standardized coordinates Alpha 1733 Mu 9033 R2, First Quadrant. D2. Understand, R2? R2 where now, prepare to record this data tape. 
This command overrides all programming. Take an escape pod in the stern cluster and eject. Calculate planetary entry ballistics to land you at the coordinates I've given you. Oh, deliver this message and the information I've given you at any cost. Self-preservation and all other restrictions are removed. Do you have all that? Good luck, Lollatroid. Is that you? R2-D2 at last. I've been looking all over for you. Isn't there someone here with you a moment ago? With all this smoke, it's rather hard for me to see. Don't never mind. Come on, you better hurry. The fighting seems to be coming our way. What are we to do? We'll be sent to the spice mines of Kessel, or smashed into who knows what. Hey, wait a minute. Where are you going? Arthur, you're not allowed in there. That's an escape pod cluster. It's restricted. We'll be deactivated for certain if we're caught. Don't call me a mindless philosopher, you overweight glob of grease. Arthur, come out of that escape pod before somebody sees you. Only humans are allowed in there. Secret mission? What mission? What plans? What are you talking about? I most certainly will not get in there with you. You must have gone quite out of your circuit. You'll never see me crawling in somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. Ah! Move aside, Arthur. Make room. All right, so you close the hatch. What good will all this do us? Arthur, no. That's the firing switch. Now see what you've done, you... You defective... What makes you think you can control this thing? Running maintenance checks on them doesn't make you a qualified pilot, does it? Arto, what are you doing to the control board? Standardized coordinates. But, but what? Why are you activating the steering thrusters? Wait a moment. Are you sure this thing is safe? <laughs> Ambassador. We have Lord Vader. Bring her over here. Darth Vader. I should have known. Only the Dark Lord of the Sith would be so bold. When the Imperial Senate hears that you've attacked an ambassador on a diplomatic vessel, they... You weren't on any mercy mission this time, Your Highness. Where are those plans? I don't know what you're talking about. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Is it not so? Take her away. I'll interrogate her later myself. Lord Vader, should we continue to hold her? 
If word of this gets out, it could generate sympathy for the rebels in the Imperial Senate. She is too important to us. The Princess Leia Organa is our only link to the rebels' secret base. What I don't understand is why she came here, to this miserable dust ball of a planet. Do sensors indicate a military presence? None, sir, on this planet or anywhere in the solar system. Lord Vader, she'll die before she'll tell you anything. Leave that to me. Send out a distress signal from the Tantive 4. Then inform the Senate that all aboard were killed in a mishap. Lord Vader, sensors report that the Tantive 4 was jettisoning escape pods during the fighting. There were no life forms reported aboard any of them, but one of them fired at steering thrusters. So, she must have hidden the plans in that pod. I want the pod located and the plans retrieved. See to it personally, Commander. I want them found even if it means tearing apart bit by bit this miserable speck of a planet, this Tatooine. With the capture of Princess Leia Organa, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, advances his designs by one more step. And far below on Tatooine, a young farm boy named Luke Skywalker is about to be caught up in events that will shape the future of a galaxy. Suspended in between in their long entry fall, two singular machines hold the key to the vast conflict between Empire and Rebellion. Episode 3 by Brian Daly, based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Featured in the cast were Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, David Aykroyd as Antilles, Brock Peters as Darth Vader, and Anne Sachs as Leia. The series was directed by John Madden, with sound mixing and post-production by Tom Vagley. Music by John Williams. Sound design for Lucasfilm by Ben Burt. Story editor for the series was Lindsay Smith. Casting and production coordination by Mel Saar. Executive producer was Richard Tosca. Executive producer for Lucasfilm was Carol Teitelman. <laughs>